Well, good morning. I'm so glad to be with you today on this beautiful July morning. It's starting to dawn on me that we don't have too many of these left. I, I saw a picture online this morning, and it was one of those guys looking in his rearview mirror, and it says, objects in mirror are closer than they appear. And in the mirror was Mariah Carey in her Santa Claus outfit. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I needed to share that. I thought that was just too funny. But welcome, welcome. I'm so glad you're here with us today. And I'm so glad you could join us online. For those of you who are coming in from wherever you are in the world or in the city, I'm so glad that you're with us today. I'm so glad for that technology that lets us be together. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel. And today we are continuing our series called I Am. We're talking about the great... I am statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John, and today is part six. We are talking about Jesus' great statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Before we get into it, let's open with a word of prayer and just make sure our hearts are ready to receive from God. Lord, it's so good to be in your house. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that your word is always ready. Thank you that you speak, and you speak to each one of us in the way that we need. We pray that your Holy Spirit would just crank the volume today, Lord. We're listening. We want to hear from you. We're ready. Speak, Lord. Amen. So as I mentioned, today we're talking about Jesus's I am statement from John chapter 11. And his statement is, I am the resurrection and the life. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I can't wait to get into it with you. But it is a bit of a long passage. So I want to keep my introduction relatively short. Now, John 11 is one of those stories that almost doesn't need context, which is kind of a weird thing to say. But, like, the role that the story plays in the overall narrative of John, in terms of, like, story beats and rising action and the things that need to happen in terms of the narrative, this story just presents yet another action of Jesus that the Pharisees and the religious leaders can't deny and so it pushes them even more towards their desire to have Jesus killed. John 12 is the triumphal entry, which we celebrate on Palm Sunday. So really, this is one of the last of these tension-building events in the Gospel of John. So in a lot of ways, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus is most valuable by itself. Because we already had the blind man who was healed and who everyone acknowledged used to be blind and that Jesus has now healed him. That's happened already in John chapter 9. So in a lot of ways, the stage is already set for that final confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders. So we could almost say that narratively, we don't need this story. Which, right? Like, that's a weird thing to say. But theologically, in terms of our understanding of Jesus, of getting to know who he is and how he loves, and for us getting that love for him way down into your soul, where it'll ooze out of every pore, everywhere that you go, this chapter is crucial. So I, I said I'd keep it short. So let's, let's get to the passage. Settle in. It's a little bit long. John chapter 11, if you wanted to turn there with me, we're going to be reading chapter, verse 1 through verse 44. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother, Lazarus, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, 
This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Hi, Lucas. It's okay. The disciples replied, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, remember two chapters ago, have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I love this story. And I love this story because of how it demonstrates Jesus' care. John 11.35 is known as the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. But that it exists at all is very strange, don't you think? Look at verse 11. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Jesus knew Lazarus was dead already. And Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus back to life. So why is Jesus weeping? The only conclusion I can draw is that Jesus wept because his heart broke for his friends. He wept for Mary and Martha for their pain for the pain of those with them who were missing Lazarus. And it blows me away that Jesus wept for them, knowing full well that their pain wasn't only temporary, right? It's one thing to have temporary pain, but it was mere minutes away from turning into full-blown joy. And yet, Jesus wept. Because our pain matters to him. He loves us. And he hurts when we hurt, and he weeps when we weep, and he celebrates when we celebrate. I preached this passage at both my grandmother's funerals. They died nine months apart from each other. And of course, Jesus' statement about being the resurrection is massive. Eternal life together. And that's what we'll talk about next. But I never want to gloss over that even though we have hope for the future, For an eternity, not only with God, but with our loved ones who have gone into his presence ahead of us. That even then, our pain today matters to God. His love and care are not distant promises of future fulfillment. They are present tense today, acts of companionship and comfort and fellowship with God. But let's get into Jesus' big I am statement from this passage. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I love this so much. Do you ever see those motivational posters or memes or whatever where they say things like, they whispered, you can't withstand the storm. And the warrior whispered back, I am the storm. Right? Have you seen that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Nod. In this moment, Jesus does something similar. I believe he'll rise again in the resurrection. I am the resurrection. You got to put an accent like that on Jesus in this moment. Come on. But, like, it's, it's great, right? It's chills. But Martha, in her pain and loss, looks at Jesus and she asks why he wasn't there. Why didn't he stop her brother from dying? And what's amazing is that she asks this very real, very hard question fully in faith. Martha is fully convinced. Sorry, I don't get the impression from this text that Martha is furious or that she's walking away from Jesus. Martha is fully convinced of the goodness of God and the care of Jesus. She's not questioning either of those things. She just doesn't understand why this had to happen like this. Can you relate? Can you think of a situation in your life where you felt like that? 
Let's read that bit again, starting in verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am. Sorry, I won't do that anymore. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Once again, we have to see the clear allusions that Jesus is making to his being God. The last day is judgment day, when God will judge the nations and the dead will rise and be judged. There's tons of allusions of this in the Old Testament. This is a theme that comes up a lot, particularly in the minor prophets. For Jesus to be the resurrection can only be a statement about his somehow coexisting with the Father in eternity. And Jesus being the resurrection has so much hope for those of us who have lost loved ones and for those of us who are looking at perhaps soon crossing through that curtain. To know that eternity is in his hands, that they're in, it is in the hands of one who loves us so much. He holds us, he holds eternal life, and he offers it to us. And only he offers it. Nothing and no one else. There is no other name by which we can be saved. That's good news. Thank God for the promise of heaven. But what about those of us who aren't standing before that gap? What about those of us who, God willing, have a lot of time left? Is Jesus just fire insurance? Is Jesus just the promise that when we die, we get to go to heaven? Or does Jesus have something to say, something to empower, something to change how we live right now? How we date, how we parent, how we work, how we study, how we love, how we serve. Because Jesus isn't only the resurrection, Jesus is the life. Jesus is life today. Jesus is life now. Following Jesus isn't a prayer that you pray and then go on about your life as if nothing has changed. And I think this is the difference between what most of us think of and what Jesus really means with his question at the end of verse 26. Do you believe this? Not do you think this is true, the way that you agree to a fact, but do you believe this? Is this something that you base your life on? Something that affects how you live your days? And I believe this is what is missing in the lives of most Christians. I believe this is what is missing in most churches. For so many of us, we don't really believe this. We like the idea that Jesus gives us eternal life. We even like the idea that Jesus can empower our every day. But either we don't believe that he actually will, or we won't engage with him enough to let him change us. A pastor I know posted this morning uh, one of those memes where it's like the, you know, the one where, where the guy's like this, and then the other one's going like this, right? Where he's rejecting one thing and really interested in the other. Well, he's not really interested in fruit of the Spirit, 
but he's really interested in gifts of the Spirit. And his point was, we all like gifts, but how willing are we to have a lifestyle of God every day? Pastor Craig Groeschel of Life Church wrote a book called It, How Churches and Leaders Can Get It and Keep It. This was some years ago. I think it was 2008. I didn't write it down. In this book, he talks about the difference between growing, vibrant Christian communities and Christian communities that are in decline. His advice for what every one of us can do for the mission of God was simple. Fall more and more in love with Jesus. Love him desperately till it bubbles out of you. Because when people see it, when they see that, that's what they want to be a part of. Because they see lives changed. They see hearts that are healed. We'll see the lost saved. We'll see the hungry fed and the naked clothed. We won't just see works, but joy and excitement and passion for what God is doing. I've talked before about the theme verse of my ministry. It comes from John 6, verse 68. Jesus has been talking to the crowd, and he's said some true but very hard things. And a whole lot of people have turned and walked away. And in a moment of frustration, Jesus turns to the twelve and he says, Are you going to leave me too? And Peter, of course Peter, answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Let me ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe that when we come to church, we are going to hear the words of eternal life? Do you believe that Jesus is everything? And how do you show that? How does that change how you serve when you're in kids' ministry? How does that affect when you greet people, either at the door wearing a badge or just when you see people in church? Does it show on your face that you are welcoming people into the place where they can hear the words of eternal life? When you're leading worship, whether you're on stage or just joining in leading worship from the pews, because we're all worship leaders, does it show? Does peace radiate off of you? Does kindness pour out of your eyes when people speak to you? If not then we all have work to do. Our relationship with Jesus isn't something that happens only on Sunday. We have to stick close to him all week long. So read this book like it's the source of your life. Pray like destiny depends on it. Worship like it'll change the world because Jesus is the life. He is everything. Let's pray. Lord, we believe that you are the resurrection and the life. We believe, God, that you are everything, that you are all that we need for every day. And Lord, how desperately we need you. We need you to touch our lives in ways that we never even thought possible. To actually be your hands and feet. To be known like little Jesuses everywhere that we go. Lord, take this word into our hearts. Push it deep into us, Lord. Have it grow roots and flower out in our lives as we follow you 
Help us to be disciplined. Help us to love you. In your name we pray. Amen.